There are moments because of renovations and updating that we have to pre-record our sermons a few days before Sunday. But based on the events that have happened this week, we have felt that I needed to speak to you live from Manhattan, and we are live right now in Manhattan. I believe God has given me a word not only for our church, but for the church around the city, around the country, and around the world. And I want to just let you know, I believe it is going to get extremely hard for the church, but there is incredible hope where God is taking his church. Where is he taking his church? I believe God is taking his church to Babylon. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you today. And God, we declare today, even as we just sang, glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name, O God. Would you be lifted up? Father, no matter what we're faced with, no matter where, where this country, where our nation, and what we're, what we're faced ahead with, I'm asking you now in the name of Jesus, that God, that by your Holy Spirit, glorify thy name. There is one name that we stand behind. There is one name that has hope in it, and that is the name of Jesus, and that's the name we pray in. Amen. On Wednesday, Washington, D.C. came under siege. The U.S. Capitol building's security was breached. Four people died, and it became one of the darkest days in American history and played out in real time before our eyes. Civility and order was lost on that day, but much more than that was lost. I believe that God exposed and removed false hopes and false trust that even the church was based upon. There are churches and Christians that were trusting in election results in Georgia on Tuesday and looking towards electoral votes on Wednesday. And right before our eyes, it all came down in an instant, all of it. And I'm not speaking about who's leaving office or who's coming into office, but those who have trusted in men and a system to fix our country. I want you to listen real carefully. This last season, Christians have become more evangelistic with their political ideology than with biblical theology. Let me say that again. I have watched Christians and the church become more evangelistic on their politics than they have on their on the gospel. I do not trust in Trump. I do not trust in Biden, but I will pray for them both, but I don't trust in them. Trusting in Democrats and Republicans is trusting in man. And trusting in politics is trusting in man. We are trusting today. We are finding our trust in conservatism instead of the kingdom of God. Jeremiah watched the children of Israel be taken into Babylon under an enemy government. And I don't want you to listen to what his words were. He said this in Jeremiah chapter 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. Now watch, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And I want you to take notice of what the context is of the next verse. The human heart 
is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Did you see what Jeremiah just connected a verse that we quote many times about the heart being deceitfully wicked? He said, trusting man with is, is, is really based on our deceitful hearts. And this week, a trumpet blast of those deceitful hearts came to us as the people of God, that you can't simply trust a liberal or a conservative. You can't trust in a Republican or a Democrat, but you can trust in God. You can trust in him and blessed are those who trust in him. I believe Wednesday marked a new season for the church to move us from curse to blessing because we cannot find ourselves on different sides of an aisle because either side of an aisle puts our trust in man. But God is bringing to us his blessing and trusting him again. And for that to happen, the church has to go to Babylon. Babylon is not catastrophic. It is a God moment. The church in Babylon is God, God's refining of his people and God's revelation, new revelation of himself. Let me say that again. The church in Babylon is God's refining of his people and God's revelation of himself. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, as Peter was speaking to the church in really a Babylonian system. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. My, my barber is on 8th Avenue right here in Manhattan. And, and he has figured it out, I think, even more in a sense than the church. He, he said something to me this week that I don't even think he would call himself a very religious man. This is what a barber said to me. He said this, I think that what is happening in America is the judgment of God to get our attention. That's what he said. He says, these are his words. I'm, I'm sitting in the chair listening. He says, we're not thankful anymore. We're greedy and want more and more. We don't even pray over our food and give God thanks for all that he has provided for us. This is a barber. This, was a, this isn't somebody who has reverend before his name. One of my spiritual Fathers, Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote the incredible book, Why Revival Tarry, says this about the church and preaching today. He says the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions, but today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. And listen to this. He said many preachers have degrees but don't have the heat. If Jesus preached the same message ministers preach today, he would never have been crucified. I believe that Babylon has removal and revealing coming to it. Babylon, for the children of Israel, began to remove idolatry, but it also raised up and revealed courageous men and women. You understand, when God brought his church, his people to Babylon, he was going to remove and reveal. He was going to remove and identify. He was going to remove idolatry. That is, that before the Babylonian captivity of those 70 years, that Israel struggled with idolatry for almost 900 years you would see idols raised up all throughout the Old Testament historical books of, of idols called Melech and Chemosh, Baal, Ashtoreth are some of the Bible names that were, were used. But do you know what's interesting is after that refining moment in Babylon, 
idolatry in Israel was toppled and idols were never seen or heard again in the nation of Israel. And it wasn't, didn't happen until God began to bring his church, his people somewhere. But also God put them into captivity to bring out his best. The Daniels, the three Hebrew children, the Esthers didn't raise up pre-Babylon. They were raised up in Babylon. I was eating dinner with my family on Friday night and we were discussing some of the things that are happening in our country. And my son, Christian Paul, asked me this question. He says, Dad, do you think that we're gonna see the rapture in our generation? I wanna say something about the last days. And this is important, thinking about who God wants to raise up. Listen to these words about the last days and how the Apostle Apostle Paul says the kind of person that is gonna be raised up in the last days. This is 2 Timothy chapter three. The Apostle Paul says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. Let me make the statement. Satan unleashes his worst in the last days. Hallelujah, but God unleashes his best. Did you just see who was unleashed in the last days? Did you see the category of people that were re- that were unleashed by Satan in the last days? But always remember, God has the last word. Satan unleashes his worst in the last days, but God unleashes his best. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches about the last days, and it shall be in the last days, God says, I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your, he says, your young men shall see visions and your old men, he says, shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves with men and women, I, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. When Satan unleashes his worst, 1 Timothy chapter three, God unleashes his best. That's exactly what God began to do. Listen to me, church. We have built great buildings in this season. Now it's time to see God build great people and put together what he is wanting to do. There is a difference. When I kept thinking about this, there is a difference between the children of Israel being slaves in Egypt and exiles in Babylon. They're both in bondage. They're both taken into a sense of slavery. In Egypt, they had no freedom and were enslaved for 400 years. But Babylon is deceitful. They were in exile and had some freedom with restrictions for 70 years, but it was a false freedom. And this is where I think God is taking the church. It was a false freedom that could be taken from them at any moment, and it was. See, in Babylon, their religious freedom kept getting challenged. Bow to this idol. You cannot pray any longer. Did you see what's happening? They came to Babylon able to pray. They came to Babylon able to bow before Jehovah, the God that they that they knew to be, to be in heaven. But all of a sudden, in that exile, all those religious freedoms were taken away. Bow here, no more praying here. I have to tell you, I believe this, that Jesus promised his disciples three things. The same thing would happen to us. He's, one person said it that they would be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, and they would always be in trouble. That's what we're getting ready to go into. Let me take you to Babylon in the book of Daniel. And I want you to see God's people in Babylon. Daniel's 1, 3, and 6 show God's people 
And I believe this is going to be the picture of the 21st century church and what happens when God begins to bring his people into a system like this. What happens when the church, what happens when God's people go into an exile like they did in the book of Daniel? But if there's one key thing that God kept bringing to my heart this entire week that I want you to see in each chapter. We know the contents of these stories, but I've forgotten the finished endings, the complete, let me say it this way, the complete endings of the stories of Daniel. Let me just, let me kind of uh, expose the endings. Do you know at the end of every intense battle with the government and with death looming in the book of Daniel, God's miracle deliverance made the opposing government declare that God is the only God. You're going to see that all throughout the book of Daniel. The church just had to be a miracle people, a supernatural people. And the worldly government, in a sense, did the evangelizing for them. It was, it really was these three things. The people of God stood up for what was right. God showed up and the opposing government declared God is God. The people of God stood up for what is right. God showed up and a miracle came. And even those that opposed them declared, your God is the real God. That's what happened when the church goes to Babylon. I believe that God is getting ready to do three things and he's gonna do it through his church. And I want you to, I want you to get ready for this. I believe Daniels are gonna rise up in government. I really believe that today. And you're gonna see that in Daniels one and two. See, Daniels promotion, I want you to get this. Daniels promotion to prime minister came from his spiritual gifts, not from his education. Let me say that again. Daniel got promoted to prime minister, not because of his education, his master's or his doctorate, he, or, or because of his dissertation. Daniel was promoted because of the gift that God gave to him to interpret dreams. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel chapter 2 and ask the wise men of Babylon to interpret it without telling them what the dream was. And no one could do it except one man, the only godly man that was on the wise man's staff. His name was Daniel. And it was coming not from a college degree, but from a gift that God gave to him. See, Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream and was promoted. The king was going to kill all the wise men. Listen to the story. It says this in Daniel 2.12. Because of this, the king became indignant because no one could interpret, became furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. That meant that Daniel and the three Hebrew children were going to have a short-lived, this was going to be a short-lived book that was going to end at the end of chapter two. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they looked for Daniel and his friends, that's the three Hebrew children, to kill them. Listen to these words. Then Daniel went to his house, informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the three Hebrew children that later got their names changed about the matter. Verse 18. So they might request compassion from the God of heaven. That means they prayed concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed by the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Let me just tell you this, is that they knew that there wasn't a degree or a professor. There wasn't a textbook that was going to get them through this. They needed a word from God. Then the mystery was revealed, not in a textbook, but it was revealed at night that Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is what's amazing. Listen to verse 46, when Daniel gave all this to Nebuchadnezzar and said, here's your dream and here's what it means. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. Verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, surely here it is, your God is a God of gods 
and a Lord of kings and a revealer of men. Did you see that? He started evangelizing since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Here it is. God, God's people stand up. God shows up. And the heathens start beginning to evangelize saying, that's God. Then the king promoted, promoted Daniel because of the gift and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler, prime minister over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Folks, that was from the gift of God. Did you notice what the ending was? Who was declaring God is God? The king declared God of gods, the Lord of lords, all because Daniel used that spiritual gift. This is incredible. My own son, who is at university right now, feels called to politics. He feels called to high-level politics. And I'm believing that God is going to raise him up as a Daniel. God will put, I believe this, that as God brings his church to Babylon, God is going to put his people in roles in Babylon. I'm believing that my son could be one of those people. See, Joseph, Esther, and Daniel are all lessons of being Christians in government and even thriving as godly people. Those three people, Bible gives those three incidences. We need to stand behind those that God has a calling on to infiltrate politics. I'm believing that there are listening even today, Daniels and Josephs and Esthers that are listening today. The one who helped the United States in abolishing the heinous crime of slavery was William Wilberforce, the man who sat on parliament in, in England. He led the way in the UK and he was about to quit because of how hard it was because he couldn't seem to get the ball moving to abolish slavery in England. And he worked rigorously. And then all of a sudden, an 88-year-old man on February 24th, 1791, six days before he was about to die, sent William Wilberforce a letter. That 88-year-old man was John Wesley. Sent him a letter just before he died. Wesley had spoken out against slavery repeatedly as one of the, one of the chief sins that has hit all of Europe. Wesley, listen, Wesley preached against it but Wesley needed a Daniel in politics to destroy it. And that was Wilberforce. Listen to me, pastors. I'm grateful that God's gift gifted us to stand in a pulpit, but literally God needs the Daniels in politics. I can preach, Wesley could preach, but he needed a Wilberforce to fight it. And when Wilberforce was about to give up because there was nothing happening in, in battling and destroying slavery, he opened up the mail one day and read this letter. I want to read it to you. Dear sir, this is from John Wesley at 88 years old, writing to a young parliamentarian, Wilberforce. And he says this, unless the divine power has raised you up to be an Athanasius against the world, I see not how you can go through this glorious enterprise opposing this scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Now listen, here it is. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you are going to be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But, this is Wesley now to Wilberforce, if God be for you, who can be against you? Be not weary, my friend, in well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Your affectionate servant, John Wesley. That is what Wilberforce needed to continue on. You ready for this? For 18 more years, those words were full of life. 
that helped him to fight through until it was not only abolished in our country, in, in the UK, but also in our country. And if you are a Christian and you are called to politics, I'm telling you right here from New York City, you have John Wesley's all over this congregation cheering and praying for you right now. We're believing God raised up a Daniel. God raised up a Wilberforce and God is raising up others in this generation that will not back down and we will cheer you on declaring, if God be for you, who can be against you? What happens when the church goes to Babylon? Number one, we believe that God will raise up Daniels in office and in government. But number two, this is important, youths that will not bow. If I read Jeremiah right, 70,000 Jews were deported to Babylon, but only three would not bow to a 90-foot high image of the king. 70,000, Jeremiah says, in three deportations were brought into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. That means when the trumpet went off and, the, and, the, and the, um, there came that there would be the penalty that if you did not bow, you'd go to a fiery furnace that means where were, let's ask the question, where were the other 69,997 believers at that point? Three young men would not bow. That is what came from these young people, regardless of a fiery furnace. Is that I believe in these last days that God is gonna give us with young people knees that won't bend and a voice that will not back down that the fiery trial that is ahead needs knees that won't bend and a voice that won't back down. Listen to these teenagers respond to the highest level of government when asked to bow to this new religion that worships government figures. Did you get that? Bow before this new religion that worships an image of a political figure. This is what they said, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they began to reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire. That seems like the fiery ordeal of 1 Peter 4. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I think the church today has been so afraid of being offensive that we become ineffective. We're so afraid of being offensive that we're not even effective. We have a generation today in the church, a generation around us of young people that don't know how to speak with their mouths. They only speak with their thumbs. They communicate with their thumbs. But I believe God is going to start to give our young people a strong voice and unbendable knees. I, I want to give you a challenge today. I want to challenge parents to pray about something. I want to challenge teenagers to pray about something. I want you to pray because I believe that the Bible school that's connected here, Summit International School of the Ministry, I want you to pray about next semester. I believe Summit is part in this country of training the next generation and giving them a strong voice and an unbendable knee. 
God may be even speaking to you right now, even as we're talking, to say, I want to get on. I want to, get on. I want to be there next semester. I'm going to put things in order. I want to be a strong voice and an unbendable knee. My, my, my own daughter, as we moved here, is being asked right now with her sports team to go to, to a webinar that deals with racism and even diversity and gender classes. They're, they're connecting the two. And I, I have to train my, train, train my children to have strong voices and unbendable needs, knees. I need, I need, I need her to love people, but not bow to the image and redefinition that, that the society is bringing up. See, the danger that is happening today is the redefining of, of what God has already defined for us. That's the danger. And God is taking his church through a furnace for that last day revelation of the Son of God. Christians are, Christians are wanting to sing our way to Jesus. Christians are wanting to go to church to see Jesus. But the church, I believe, is going to Babylon and it will be in the furnace that we are going to see Jesus. On a wall in the bedroom of Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, he had a plaque that simply had the verse Isaiah 48.10 on it. Listen to what Isaiah says. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. He wrote in his journal underneath those words, listen to this, he says, we are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed, yet here eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. I believe God is gonna start picking his people out of a furnace. God will change politicians' hearts, but listen, by our ability to go through the fire. I have to read the passage to you and get to the end of the story. It's a little lengthy, but worth reading because remember, remember what our grid was, is that, is that God's, there will be laws to oppose us. God's people will have to stand. God shows up, and then you'll even watch the people that opposed you starting to declare that he is God. Listen to this, Daniel 3.23. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace. They did go through it. A blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, wasn't it three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Or let me just make it plain. He looks like Jesus. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire, he responded, said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Now, now, the man who built, who built the 90-foot idol is now going, you are servants of the Most High God. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's highest officials. This, this looks like Congress gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Listen to verse 28. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him. That sounds just like Jeremiah, put their trust in him. And they even violated the kings. He's talking about his own command. 
the king's command, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own. Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. That's what they did. And here it comes, verse 29. Therefore, this is the king speaking, the king that opposed them, the king that threw them in the fire, the king that built the image and said, worship me, worship the government. I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch, listen to this, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Hallelujah. This is amazing that deliverance through your trial can be evangelistic. Deliverance through your furnace is evangelism. Deliverance from you standing, God showing up. Then all of a sudden begins to showcase God. What's amazing to me is this. I want you to hear this. Nebuchadnezzar didn't say, you three men are amazing. Nebuchadnezzar said, "God, your God is amazing. Man, we're part of a church that looks to people. I'm telling you, there's, starting with me, Nobody who stands and preaches is amazing. It is the God that stands behind us that is amazing. You know, I, I want you to be aware. I, I want to say this real quickly. There's a un, this is a unique way to share your faith. Because, because we got stuck, I think, on maybe one and even two. You, you know, the, one of the ways that we, we, we share our faith is with our words, your words. We tell them the gospel. We speak. How will they hear without a preacher? That's good. But then I think there comes a moment that people aren't listening. It becomes our lifestyle. And actions speak louder than words. It's like the famous, the, 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 the famous monk, St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. He was basically declaring your lifestyle, that after words becomes your lifestyle. But I think one of the other ways that we preach is through your toughest trial. When people are looking to go, let's see if God is real. Let's see if God gets you through. Let's see what's going to happen to you. C.S. Lewis was once asked the question that eventually appears on every believer's radar screen. He says, why do the righteous suffer? You know what his reply was? Because they're the only ones that can handle it. They can go through the furnace. That when our words and our lifestyle is not beginning to convince people of the greatness of God, it'll become your, your toughest trial and then your testimony on how God brought you through. That's when they start listening. That's what happens when the church goes to Babylon. Youths raise up that won't bend the knee and have a strong voice. Daniels will raise up in government. And finally, let me close with this. Laws will oppose, but there will be a praying church. Laws will oppose, but we will still be praying in Daniel chapter 6. A law came down from Darius, who became the new king at this time, that you could not pray to anybody except the king. This is what it says in verse 7. Listen to Daniel 6, 7. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors all agreed. This is unanimous. They all voted that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, Darius, shall be thrown into the lion's den. All the politicians agreed. Listen carefully. Truth is not determined by popular vote or a court decision. Truth is revealed by the living God from heaven. In fact, 
The great preacher Fulton Sheen from the 60s said this. He says, moral principles do not depend on a majority vote. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong. And right is right, even if nobody is right. This is what comes from God. But what will happen to the church when it opposes a government that crosses, when it opposes a government and crosses the line or a government that opposes the line in violating the scripture? That's what Darius did. It's, it's, there's restrictions, 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 and then all of a sudden it steps across a line and all of a sudden, stepping across the line, the church has to stand. I believe there will come censorship on social media platforms that will shut down preaching. I believe there will be a removal of 501c3s, then fines for not being inclusive in marriages, hiring and serving. And finally, I, I see in my heart and in my spirit that there'll be chains on the doors of churches that won't comply, but that will not stop the church of Jesus Christ. I am telling you now that you can take away word, you can take away a pulpit, you can take away all that, but I'm going to tell you that God is going to use his church in the middle of a fire and in the middle of a lion's den, and you're going to see it, that the new persecution of the U.S. church will be prosecution. You'll see it. The anti-Christian sentiment will bring lawsuits to any Bible-believing Christian that stands against or challenges cultural redefinitions and cultural values that are that really that are just simply trends that's trying to trump the word of God. Biblical values are worth standing up for, even if persecution is prosecution. And we need a new generation. I even believe, not only of Daniels in office, but I think God's gonna raise up even Christian lawyers today that were willing to go to the lion's den. What did Daniel do when this law, which violated God's word, the higher law, what did Daniel do when he saw that this God's law was violated? Listen to Daniel 6.10. Here's what it says. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, voted on, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber that had windows open toward heaven, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. In this season, I believe God's going to raise up a praying church. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I loved our worship today, and I'm so grateful for it. But I'm just telling you, we don't just need a singing church. We need a praying church today. We need a church. In fact, I do want to challenge you to join us, and we'll give you words as we, as we get closer. I was sharing with, with some of our leaders that we are going to, at the end of this month, we are going to join with our school summit, International School of Ministry, and our church, we're going to have three days of prayer and fasting on January 26th through the 28th, that we will be live even in the morning, starting at 6 a.m., to pray with you and to challenge you. Just a song, and, and then we pray together. But the penalty for these people for praying in Daniel chapter 6 would be a lion's den. Listen to Daniel 6, 16. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. I have to say this to you that sometimes people forget. Do you understand that Daniel was in his 80s when he was thrown into the lion's den? We, we see these pictures of this young man standing in a lion's den. This is an 80-year-old man that could have easily found retirement. But I'm telling you, I'm challenging you, aged leaders, we need you. Men that, that have the battle scars from ministry, we need you. There may be a different role going ahead for you, but we need you to stand in these times. Do you know what God did for this 80-year-old prime minister named Daniel? He not only shut the mouths of the lions, but something else happened. It's what we've been talking about. Here it is, Daniel 6, 23. Then the king 
was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no injury was found on him because, here's Jeremiah 17 again, he trusted in his God. Jeremiah 17 just keeps saying, blessed are the people that trust in the Lord. Blessed are the, it said it about the three Hebrew children. It said it about Daniel in chapter two. And it says it about Daniel again. They trusted in God, not in mortal man, but in God. Now listen to verse 24. This is amazing. Here's, here's how the conclusions, the full conclusions of the story. Then the king gave orders and brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not even reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. But it gets interesting. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nations and men of every language who were living in the land, may your peace abound. Here comes his letter and decree. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble, hallelujah, before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. And his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. Listen, he said, this is, this is the king evangelizing. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and earth who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus of Persia. It's amazing to me that Daniel outlives four kings in that book. Four kings die and Daniel's still there as prime minister. That's amazing to me. These kings seem to keep making the gospel law and all the Christians have to do is become a miracle people. And you can't be a miracle person unless you're a praying person. We're going to have to be supernatural and miracle people. And that can only happen on our knees. May God find his church on their knees again. What happens when the church goes to Babylon? There's hope. Daniels will rise up. Youth will not bow. And the church will pray again. Let me say that again. What happens when God brings his church to a government that kind of gives you a false expectation that, that there won't be any restrictions until time moves on? Daniels will rise up in key places. We're going to see a generation of young people that will not bow but have a strong voice, an unbendable knee, and the church is going to pray again. I want to finish with this. What kind of bankruptcy did we declare as a church? Chapter 7 or chapter 11? Those both are, are bankruptcies in the business world. Chapter 11 bankruptcy comes to financially troubled companies forced into bankruptcy that have, um, it's really a temporary bankruptcy, chapter 11 is. It's the option is chosen by basically a healthy company that given time, it's going to work out its own issues. But chapter 7 is for a company that has reached the end of its financial rope. So it's deeply in debt and has no future as a viable business, the company is finished and over if you declare chapter seven. So what kind of bankruptcy did we declare as a church? I think the church over these last couple decades has filed for chapter 11. It's finding its hope in finances and politics, parties and people. We've, we've, we found ourselves saying we, we, we need help and then all of a sudden we watched things start to happen, but I'm here to tell you today, Jesus shows up in, in lion's dens, 
fiery furnaces and death threats when we file chapter 7 when we have no other hope but God himself. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. The church is going to Babylon and it's a church that files chapter 7, a bankrupt church that literally says what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as one version says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. That's what he's looking for today. And can I just remind you that all of us, C.S. Lewis said, are equally bankrupt. Just some of it have not, some of us haven't declared it yet. Let me, let me explain it like this. Paul says we have to declare it even spiritually. Paul says these words in Romans 3. All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means we're all bankrupt and we need God today. How, how do we face what's coming ahead? How do we have this incredible hope? You can't have it unless God's in our life. Unless, unless it's Christ in us. The hope of glory. I want, I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid of a future. But you can't do that unless you know. You cannot be a Daniel that faces a lion's den. You cannot be a Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that says we are not bowing down. That begins to have the testimony of God. Things come against the people of God. They stand. God shows up. And even the heathen, even the government starts to go, their God is God. I'm just telling you, that's where it's going to get declared today. But how does that happen for you? How does it happen for any of us? It doesn't happen unless there's a relationship with God. It doesn't happen unless men and women first start with the most important. This is the most important question that anybody can ever ask you is, have you been born again? And I'm telling you, I would not want to face this future without God in my life, without a relationship with God. That's why you have to understand, even if the church doors never, ever open again, God will always be with you. He's not found in buildings made by hands. He's found in the lives and the hearts of people just like you, wherever you're at. And what Jesus asks of us in John 3, 3, this is Jesus now in John 3, 5. He asks for the planet, all of humanity, the entire population, that, that nobody can see the kingdom of heaven, whether God is pouring it out heaven on earth or even eternity when we die to go to heaven. We will never see it, Jesus said, unless we are born again. In fact, that, those are Jesus' words. Born again is not our word. It's not a TSC word. It's a Jesus word. Well, Pastor Tim, I thought I was born again when I got water baptized or was christened or had my first communion or when I went to church or because I'm a good person. Those are, those are all good things, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus was saying, just as you had a first birth, just as you have a birth date, you need a second birth date. You need a born again date that you can say, this is where I have a relationship, not a religion. Religion asks for a day a week. Jesus asks for an everyday relationship with you. Religion wants you to sit in a church on a Sunday. Relationship says we walk every day together. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? We'll tell you every single week, it's as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting that we're a sinner, that every one of us has been diagnosed with a condition called sin, and none of us can fix it on our own. There's not a promise I can make, 
a pastor that can fix you, a priest that can fix you. There's not even a program that can fix you. We need help to fix us. Where does that come, Pastor Tim? That's the B word, believing that God sent his son Jesus to die for me. He became my sin bearer. He died the death that I should have died because of my sin. Lived the life I didn't even have the power to live and then gave me a reward I didn't even deserve. That God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. That I couldn't get myself to heaven. I needed help to get there. And how does that happen? It's the C word, confessing him as Lord. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. When the Apostle Paul says, I'm asking you for more than Sundays. I'm asking him to be Lord. That means he's the boss. He's in charge now. His definitions matter. He's got veto power over anything. Why does Daniel and those three Hebrew children stand? Because they made God boss and Lord of their life. That's why, that's why even Nebuchadnezzar and Darius kept using the words, he's Lord of Lords. He's the boss of all bosses. And today... You can have a relationship. Well, Pastor Tim, I'm just not perfect. I've, I, but here's the miracle. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Born again people do. You don't have to get yourself good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. That's the miracle. That's the born again part that happens. Pastor Tim, how, how does this happen? I don't. Wherever you're at right now, I want you to pray with me. Wherever you are. I don't care what country, what city. You could be right here in New York City, around the country and around the world. I want you to, I want this to be your second birth, born again date. That Jesus comes in and changes you from the inside out. Come on, wherever you're at. Maybe you're going to pray this as a husband and a wife together, a family. Maybe it's you and your children all praying this together, saying, God, I'm, I'm asking you. To, to touch my family. We want to start this brand new jersey journey with Jesus in our lives for what's ahead. But more so than what's ahead for us as a country, what's ahead for every human being that we're all going to stand before God. And Jesus said, Jesus tells us that we will not see the kingdom of heaven unless we're born again. I want you to pray a born again prayer with me. Let it come from the heart. Come on, say these with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so excited that you made the right decision. I'm here to tell you the future may be difficult, but for the people of God, we don't trust in men. We trust in God. And he says, they're still producing fruit. They have deep roots right by a riverside. And you just got planted in God. That plant, now those roots are beginning to go deep. And it says, even though the heat and the drought come, you'll still be yielding fruit because it's not you, it's God in you. I, I wanna just challenge you to do one thing with me today. If, if you prayed this prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you text the word? Because you really made a decision. Decided, D-E-C-I-D-E-D. -E -D, to 88 
3202. Just text that. We just want to help you with the next steps. That this doesn't the texting this word doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a member. We don't have membership here. It is literally just saying, "Hey, I'd like to know what my next steps are." And I I'm believing. I'm believing that today God is going to raise up those last day armies of the Daniels and the Meshachs, the Shadrachs and Abednego. And those that decided today, man, you're part of that. We love you. God bless you. Don't forget the prayer meeting on Tuesday night with Pastor Carter Conlon. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.